Welcome to the Right Take Podcast, news, ideas, and conversations at the intersection of politics and culture, a project of the David Horowitz Freedom Center. I will be your host, Mark Tapson. Welcome back to the Right Take Podcast. I am your host, Mark Tapson. Thanks once again for joining me here at the intersection of politics and culture. About a month ago in Shaoshan, China, crowds gathered to celebrate the 130th birthday of the late communist dictator Mao Zedong, otherwise known as Chairman Mao, who infamously kicked off the horrific cultural revolution beginning in the mid-1960s and ending with his death in 1976. Many of the celebrants placed flowers in front of a bronze statue of Mao at a local plaza, prostrating themselves before the statue and spouting slogans that were adopted by the fearsome Red Guards during the Cultural Revolution. Slogans like, down with capitalism and imperialism, and no crime in revolution. Think about that one for a moment. Nothing done in the name of revolution can be considered criminal. Nothing. One elderly man reportedly said, I'm filled with gratitude for Chairman Mao. We must never forget the debt we owe him. Interestingly, the younger attendees seemed inclined to chant more extreme slogans. In fact, there's reportedly widespread nostalgia in China for the Cultural Revolution, a time of brutal revolutionary fervor, which King's College theology professor Robert Carl calls an infernal decade when Mao turned his murderous paranoia on his own people, leading them to tear each other to pieces. Children denounced their parents. Students murdered their teachers. In Mao's campaign against the four olds, old ideas, old culture, old customs, and old habits, traditional Chinese culture and morality became targets for destruction. I bring this up because a new book has just been published by a woman who lived through the Cultural Revolution as a child, but who is now an American patriot ringing the alarm over what she sees are parallels in America to the Chinese Cultural Revolution. I have the author coming up next to talk about the book and share her fascinating message. So stay tuned and don't miss this conversation. And please take a moment to subscribe to The Right Take if you haven't already, so you can keep up with the conversations we are having here with important thinkers, writers, pundits, and storytellers. And if you like what you hear, positive review would always be really appreciated. Thank you, and don't touch that dial. My guest today at the Right Take Podcast is author and activist Shee Van Fleet. She has lived in the United States since 1986, but before that she was born in China and grew up during Chairman Mao's infamous cultural revolution of the late 1960s and early 70s, and she's written a brand new book called Mao's America, A Survivor's Warning, which I have read, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. It not only details her experiences living through that harrowing time, but it also details her concerns that the cultural revolution she witnessed in China is now being replayed here in her adopted homeland of America, and she's devoted herself to warning her fellow Americans about that and fighting this dangerous threat to our country and civilization. She Van Fleet, welcome to the Right Take Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's my honor. She, congratulations on the book, and thank you for your courage also in putting yourself squarely in the fight to defend America against the cultural Marxism that you recognized was infiltrating our schools. You sort of put yourself on the map 
by making a statement before the school board in Loudoun County, Virginia, where you live. And that statement went viral and you were invited on Fox News and some other media outlets to talk about it. But before we get to that, let's go all the way back to your childhood in China and tell us about your first experience with Mao's Cultural Revolution there. You were very young when that got started. What was life life like before the Cultural Revolution started to get underway? And then how did you see it beginning to change? Yes, and uh, I was young. I was uh, in my first I was in my second grade uh, uh, semester of the first grade. So um, I just don't have a lot of memories of what happened before, only that I can categorically say it was event less. There was no peace in China since the Communist Party took over. But relatively to a young, uh, a, a, a young child, it was re, uh, eventless. And so the Cultural Revolution, in my memory, was overnight. And so overnight, and a school uh, class stopped, and uh, and the school just like uh, it's turmoil. And all of a sudden, and uh, um, the, the uh, students, you know, I was young, I was only um, the first grade, but older kids started to put up these what's called the big character posters all over the campus. What that is... Um, Big, big piece of paper, you wrote something, and that something is always denunciation of someone or something. And it's kind of like today's social media, because you can put on the wall and the people can come over and read it. And uh, so it was like a, overnight, it was the campus was took over. And uh, and quickly, um, I found out there's there will be no more schools because there's no one running the school. All the uh, uh, the principals and teachers were ousted by the kids, and that was um, uh, 1966. And this um, the school closed for two years for me. For some, it was four years. So it was chaos, chaos, and more chaos. The the term cancel culture is a relatively new one here, but the roots of it were in Mao's Cultural Revolution, weren't they? Absolutely. And it was spelled it out. And it's not just a cancel culture. It's called smashing or destroy the four olds. Old culture, old idea, old habits, and old custom. And it's anything that is basically pre-cultural revolution. Even the CCP um, culture before Cultural Revolution was canceled because it was not radical enough. So we're looking for anything that's old, anything that is not brand new, uh, or the most radical version of Maoism has to be destroyed. And, uh, and, and, all the, all, um, and also not just uh, uh, destroying the culture, but also destroying anyone who are in power, because that was really the reason of Cultural Revolution for Mao to take down the entire CCP and replace uh, with his own people because he uh, feel like he was no longer in total control. So anyone in the authority role was a target for the Red Guards. And um, so who, you know, think about it for the kids, who are the one of authority role? Teachers, yeah. So the teachers were the first one. The principals were the first one that um, become the target for the red guards. And the red guards were just today's um, 
social justice warriors. They they were the kids, and uh, uh, from uh, elementary school to college, they were called Red Guards because um, and it, it, it's a name that a bunch of a uh, bunch of uh, middle school kids came up with in Beijing, and soon you know, and, and it caught on and it become a movement. Uh, tell us about how Mao exploited the Chinese youth um, to be, to do his revolutionary bidding. That is a very important uh, important thing to, for people to understand. The Cultural Revolution is a youth revolution. Mao said that he had a, a two great achievements before his death. One was uh, the, um, the the Chinese Communist Revolution, violent revolution to overthrow a sitting government, which is the nationalist government, and they were successful and kicked them out of China and, uh, and drove them to Taiwan. And he said that his second um, uh, achievement is uh, the Cultural Revolution. And that was also, in a way, it's uh, fascinating. That was also with the goal to overthrow a sitting government, only this time it's his own. He was willing to destroy anything that he himself created in order to grasp the absolute power. And that is something that is very, very important to understand. And, and that's exactly what's going on today in America. And the cancel culture, the wokeness, the DEI, all those were uh, uh, noises. There were tactics. The goal is always power. And uh, maybe you could describe a couple of the extremes to which the Red Guard went to to cancel people and to uh, tear down the four olds, as you put it, and to tear down China's uh, uh, culture prior to Mao. Yeah, the, the, and, and they go after the obvious first. They, uh, uh, they destroy the statues because those were the symbols of uh, uh, the past. And uh, so they destroy any uh, statues and they uh, change and the names of uh, streets, uh, institutions, and uh, uh, even uh, um, products, food, food and restaurant, everything. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, because they are, they, they are old and they, they, they are um, uh, not revolutionary. For example, they change street names in my hometown and um, and something traditional will all have to go and replace with something like an anti-imperialist um, street, revolutionary street, uh, things like that. And people go as far as changing their own names and make them more revolutionary. So now today, um, we can easily tell from the name when those uh, people were born. During the Cultural Revolution, it's all... Red, uh, names like uh, Red Guards, Red, um, it, 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 all revolutionary. And it's just so easy to identify. Everyone wants to be on the right side of the revolution. And, uh, and they went so extreme that it's basically intimidation and a, dem a demand that people conform, that you cannot have uh um, certain hairstyle. You can only have the revolutionary hairstyle. If you um, if you don't follow, they have hair 
I described in my book. They have a hair fixing stations and catch people who have the wrong type of hairstyle and cut their hair right there. And uh, the extremes included some horrific violence too. I'm not sure that a lot of Americans are aware of the extreme violence um, that was carried out by the youth of the Red Guard against anyone who uh, was deemed insufficiently revolutionary. Yeah, it started like of um, um, chaos, you know, destroy things, but very soon it become violent, and the first killing took place in Beijing, in the middle class, uh, in the middle school for girls. Those were middle school age girls from 12 to 16. They got their principals out and, uh, and hold, a class, uh, hold a struggle session against her and humiliated her, tortured her, and eventually killed her. And nothing happened to those uh, kids, just like today. You know, the BMAers, they can do whatever, nothing happened to, to them. Why? In, in China, Mao was openly supporting them, and no one can challenge and stop the Red Guards because they knew Mao was behind them. And how about today? No one can stop them. The police will arrest them and let them go. Why? They knew that the Democratic Party is behind them. Same thing. So it becomes very violent. And uh, during the course of 10 years of Cultural Revolution, 20 million people lost their lives. And this is something I try to educate people. When I say 20 people lost their lives, I'm not talking about the government killed 20 million people. Mostly it is uh, people killing people. One side of the people killing other side of the people. Why? Because the other side of the people were labeled all sorts of things um, in, in one word. They were the enemies. They were the enemies of the state. They were the enemies of Mao. So anything down to them is justified because they were just enemies. They're no longer human. And that's how we, we, we have to understand how violence really um, become um, a commonplace because killing enemies is always justified. Uh, also, this revolutionary movement turned families against each other. Family members were turning each other in, and sometimes that resulted in punishment and torture and even execution of family members, didn't it? Yes, and this is also a core feature of communism. Communism, um, you know, we can see this from the Communist Manifesto. They want to destroy uh, private ownership of properties. They want to destroy religion, and they want to destroy family because family is a product of capitalism. The, the function of, cap, uh, of family is to support the system of capitalism. That's what we're taught. And so I remember just a little kid in kindergarten, we were taught that our real parents were the party and our real father was Chairman Mao. And if we have to choose between our own biological parents and Chairman Mao, absolutely no doubt, no doubt whatsoever, we choose Mao. And many, many kids made that choices. And that uh, resulted their parents imprisoned, some executed. You 
have a whole chapter in the book. In fact, you anticipated my question. You have a whole important chapter in the book. Well, they're all important chapters, but the one I wanted to zero in on was the one about destruction of family, uh, which you just brought up. I write and speak a lot about Marxism and its imperative to abolish the family and about the left's war on the family today. Uh, and you see echoes of that today, don't you? Echoes of, uh, of Mao's assault on the family in what's going on in America today, don't you? Absolutely. It is only for those who refuse to see it can see it. And what the indoctrination really has been doing to the kids is they give them a total new set of ideology that is in conflict with the traditional values taught by the family. And now they set them against their parents. And they accuse their parents of not being woke, their parents of uh, not uh, understand uh, what's really going on. And uh, with transgender uh, uh, policies today, they actively, physically separate the children from um, the parents and uh, declare that the state is the real protector of the children. And it's absolutely, absolutely the the repeat of, of what happened in China. As many naive young people in China did at the time, you initially admired the Red Guard, didn't you? Everybody did, as long as I know. Yeah, and and because, just think about it, they have the power. They have the power over people's life and death. That is kind of power they have. They have the power to order um, the... uh, um, the people in authority to do whatever. And that was unbelievable. And that is something I think uh, um, people um, should understand why it was attractive to the young kids today in America. It's also partly, it's the, uh, they, they feel like they're, it, it's the power. It's intoxicating for them to have this kind of power to just go on the street and just riot and just destroy things and no consequence. And then yet, they feel like uh, that's virtuous because they are doing um, the right thing to destroy the evil system um, called uh, America. And uh, a lot of people, and the, the young, um, do, do they really, and the Red Guards, I mean, do they really believe in what they're doing? Many of them probably have no clue. They just joined because it was you know, um, it, it, it was uh, uh, um, exciting. And uh, so I think it's the same uh, uh, this apply to a lot of kids today here. If everyone that did uh, rioting and, uh, and, uh, and looting end up in jail and have like a 10-year sentence, they stop right away, overnight. Problem solved. Yes, I think you're right about that. Uh, when You have a very interesting story in the book about trying to join the Red Guard, if I remember right. But there was a there was a 12-year-old girl in your neighborhood who decided to check on your background to make sure that you were ideologically pure enough to join. Tell us about what she found out in your ancestry that, that put you on the wrong side of the equation. Yeah. Uh, identity politics is not new. And a lot of people think it's the invention of the left. No, no, no. It's it's the core of uh, uh, Marxism and communism. They always have to divide people and uh, divide people by what? By identity. In China, it is class struggle. It is uh, um, the, the use class to divide people. And what class? Haves and have-nots. That is the basic 
dividing line, and uh, the halves were uh, deemed as a black class, the class of the enemy of the state, and red class are the people supposedly uh, have not. So just like uh, today in America, um, the, in the, uh, the most potent identity is your, uh, your race. You know, you wear it. There is no way you can hide it. And uh, so, but in China, you you can hide it uh, because uh, we all look the same. We speak the same language and everything. But they want to make this something that that really as a part of a DNA. So if you were deemed as, uh, as the black class, that's not it. You can pass it down to your children and your children's children, and you all have this uh, class label on you. So I did not know because my father joined uh, the communist revolution. And uh, so I thought I was red, you know? So during the, uh, um, um, the cultural revolution, and when I tried to join the little red guards, because we're too little, when we, we can't be a red guard. So we joined uh, a neighborhood um, Little Red Guards, the leader said, yes, you can join, but we have to find out your roots. I said, okay, no problem. And my, my, my father uh, uh, was a communist. What can go wrong? But I found out, I, I, um, to my just great dismay, that uh, my root was black because my grandmother owned land. And therefore, I am um, also part of that black class. And um, and I did describe it uh, in my book. And when I heard this little girl in Loudoun County, like seven year old girl, ask his mo- her mother whether she's uh, evil because she was born uh, uh, white, I really brought tears to my to my eyes. And that's exactly what they did in Mao's China, and set people against each other, and uh, and. Deem those people who just had committed the crime of owning property as enemy of the state and pass it down to their children and the children's children. I also wanted to ask you about your chapter on the destruction of religion during the Cultural Revolution. Why did Mao target religion and specifically Christianity? He really uh, wanted, I guess he wanted to abolish all religion, but he specifically targeted Christianity. And why is that? And and where do you see that happening today in America? Yeah, that actually took place way before I was born. And that was the absolute, the very first thing that they did is to uh, destroy religion, any religion. And the uh, the um, the most uh, popular religion in China back then, and and for for over thousands of years was Buddhism. Uh, but Buddhism is not really highly organized uh, religion, and so it was destroyed. Absolutely, many of the uh, um, the temples and the monasteries were closed, and the monks and uh, uh, nuns, a lot of them, uh, were expelled and to go back to secular lives. And that happened before I was born, of course. So Christianity was the one that uh, they uh, fear most because. Christianity is antithesis, antithesis of uh, communism. Communism believe that the state is God, and Christianity 
believes that God is our creator and we all have rights. And, and that rights is, is not from the government, but from our creator. And actually, this is something that alien to most of the Chinese, but this is what they fear most. And also, of course, and uh, um, Christianity is most organized um, religion in China. I think for that reason, it was really was the one that uh, uh, received most of the uh, persecution from the CCP. I have no idea what Christianity was. I had little idea of, of Buddhism because we still have temples, even though they converted into parks. And, I, and there, um, we just went there for uh, for recreation purposes. But I could see the, the, there are some statues, and I know a little bit of um, um, Buddhism. I have no idea. There's no books, no books available. I have no idea what Christianity was until after the Cultural Revolution. And the Cultural Revolution ended when Mao died. When did you start to wake up about the the damage that the Cultural Revolution had done? And when did you start to, you know, open up about the idea of freedom and moving to America and all that? Yes, but I want to just add to what I just said about religion. So we were taught that religion um, was the opium of the masses, and we were thought that uh, we were taught that uh, it is a, a really a evil tool for the uh, ruling class. So we thought we were atheists, but we're not. And and later, of course, I realized we're all taught to be communists, and communism is a religion above all. And back to when to uh, uh, finally uh, start to realize that we were taught lie. And this is important for people to realize you cannot tell right from wrong if you, uh, you cannot tell what is wrong when you don't, don't know what is right. And how do you know what is right? You have to be taught what is right. But we were not taught what is right. All we um, giving was uh, the uh, the propaganda information from the government, and everything was so tightly controlled. We have no access to outside world, so there's no uh, reference point for us. So I just believed in anything that I was told. I have no choice. So because of that, I could not think. I could not think critically. How could you when you don't know anything else? And the only thing you know was what they fed you. So after the Cultural Revolution, um, that was 1976 when Mao died, and uh, Deng Xiaoping, um, his successor, um, realized that um, there's only one way to save China, that is to bring in capitalism, because China was in the brink of total collapse. So he decided to open up China, and one of the first thing he did was to reopen universities. And I was able to pass the examination and go to college. So that was um, uh, late 1970s. I got into college in 1978. I think around uh, the beginning of the 80s, we were able to openly listen to uh, shortwave radio, such as uh, BBC and uh, uh, Voice of America. and uh, and eventually, we started to have uh, foreign teachers come to teach in, on uh, on campus, and then we started to have access to materials, information from outside world. 
and 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 foreign movies. That's when I started to realize, oh my God, all the things that I have been taught for the past twenty some years are nothing but lies. Can you imagine that we were taught, don't leave. Anything on your plate because the proletarian in America are starving. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, of course I believe that. Uh, and then, so you were able to move to America eventually, and I guess thought you would kind of live happily ever after. But in 2020, you decided to get involved in political activism. Uh, why did? What triggered that desire in you? Yes, actually, this is a long time in the coming, and because I noticed things, I noticed things little by little, and uh, tracing back even to the nineties, and uh, and it started with the political correctness, and eventually I see that the um, the demand for political correctness remind me of Cultural Revolution. There's only one way uh, to to one correct way of saying things, one correct way of thinking. And, and, and it's just uh, it getting worse and worse. And, uh, and so I was worried, but I, I did not uh, lose my sleep overnight and, uh, until 2020. When, until 2020, when I saw the riot and on the street, and I said, there, there, there's no mistaking. This is a full-blowing Marxist and communist revolution. Yeah, and, the George uh, Floyd riot. Yes, yes. And uh, so before, you know, when I came to this country, I thought I left communism behind. I will live, uh, just as you said, I will live happily ever after. And uh, so I did not really pay much attention to politics. I thought freedom was automatic. You know, I'm here in America, what can go wrong? And... Uh, well, no, yeah, it went wrong. It went really wrong. So I feel like I have to speak up. There's no choice. Why? I do not want to live under communism again. That is my motivation. It's not bravery. It is because I know what it is like to live under communism. And But I have to tell you, so um, after I speak, um, um, spoke out in the uh, Loudoun County uh, School Board. And then I started to get phone calls and then, of course, um, Fox News and other news media. I was like a little surprised. I said, what I said is obvious. Everybody knew. And of course, I found out, nope. A lot of people don't know. They have no clue because they were never taught. They were, they, uh, the uh, students were never taught that in school or universities, and the media never um, educated the Americans of what uh, communism is really about. And of course, we know now it is all by design. So I said, okay, this is just absolutely astonishing that Americans have no idea about communism. And that is why when it comes to their front door, they have no idea. So I decided I'm going to make this my mission to educate Americans. So in, in 2022, I decided to quit my job and to write a book, which was something I never dreamed of doing. It was not something that I feel like, oh, I should do. I feel like I must do. I have to do this. 
And so so <laughs> it's all God's will. Actually, I have no idea that I could write a book, but here I, I am, have the book. And, uh, and I have no idea how to have it published. The help just show up and uh, guide me and uh, everything just just turned out to be perfect. And Sounds I, like it was God's will then. Exactly. <laughs> That's the only way I can explain it. say are the red guards or the, the stormtroopers of today in America? Yeah, I think it's very, very similar. Most of them are the product of the indoctrination. They are the young people that have been taught uh, Marxist ideology and CRT and uh, um, CQT, uh, critical queer theory, and CFT, critical feminist theory, and all this are Marxist ideologies, and they are more a cultural Marxist ideologies, and they all are the, uh, um, the uh, um, social justice warriors because they were uh, convinced that America is built on racism and built on uh, the evil capitalism. So it is nothing but evil and need to be destroyed. And that's exactly what uh, the, uh, the Red Guards led to believe, that everything in the past was evil and need to be destroyed to build a brand new world of uh, built on the most radical version of, or pure version of Marxism, that is Maoism. Same, absolutely driven by the same uh, thing, which is Marxist ideology and indoctrination, of course. Yeah, and, and you can see in the uh, destruction of of uh, statues and the changing of names of uh, schools and institutions that are named after the founding fathers and things like that. You can see that happening here, just as you saw it happening. This destruction or erasure of the past um, when you were growing up in China, didn't you? Yeah, and also we were uh, asked to look for counter-revolutionaries everywhere because they are among us. They are sleeping, as Mao said, among us. I was thinking, okay, they are sleeping among us. Who I'm sleeping with? Well, my parents, right? My, uh, my siblings, the people that are close to me. So we should watch everybody. They all possibly are counter-revolutionaries. And how about today? We're asked to do the same thing. We're looking for uh, racists, Everywhere, every corner, under the couch, everywhere. Um, and uh, I just uh, saw a tweet yesterday that someone said, um, eating meat is racist and eating meat is an expression of white supremacy. And, and, and that's what kids are looking for. They're looking for everything and they're also looking for the people close to them and their parents included and denounce them because they are thought enough to um, are not updated to today's correct political correctness. And so to those Americans today who kind of brush off concerns about wokeness and cultural Marxism, and they, they say, oh, it's just a silly kind of left-wing lunatic fad and it could never happen here. What would you say to those people? Well, what I say is wake up, learn some history. And what happened today is nothing new. It happened to billions of people 
including um, the, uh, the, uh, all the people that lived under communism in Soviet Union, the whole huge block of countries, they went through exactly the same thing. And uh, um, um, hundreds of millions of people in China went through same thing. And the result is always the same, the destruction of the society and division of the people and uh, and so that a few on the top can have absolute power over all of us. Yes. Speaking of power, you conclude the book by telling readers that the goal is to gain power uh, first by destabilizing a society through cultural subversion and then to maintain that power by stabilizing the Marxist agenda. And, and once the ideologues, the Marxist ideologues hold absolute power, then what happens? Then they will say, no more complain. Like in China, you can't complain. Here we're we encouraged to criticize, right? The critical race theory, critical all this, critical theory is to denounce, to find fault of the society and so that we can overthrow it, right? Once it's overthrown, you cannot complain. You cannot complain the uh, uh, whatever you see that imper- uh, that that's uh, um, that's unjust. Um, by then, everyone has to conform. Everyone has to just remain silent, or um, um, or you're in trouble. So it's all about control. It's all about power. They don't care. There's no real Marxists. Please, American people, there's no Marxists. The people that um, um, now tell us that it's important to have DEI, to have uh, um, uh, racial justice, social justice, environmental justice, they don't give a damn of those things. All they want is use that as tools to get... Yeah, I was just about to say, yeah, there's. Uh, it's really not about diversity or inclusion or tolerance uh, or social justice. It's ultimately about power. She, are you optimistic or pessimistic that America can kind of shake off this Marxism that has our culture in its grip? And what can the average American do to fight back against this in his or her own community? And I have to be realistic. We are very, we are in a dire situation because our children have been through this indoctrination for generations, decades, not yesterday, not 2020. So that is important for all of us to realize we're in dire situation. Is that hopeless? No. Why? Because you can see, especially when I go out and talk to um, people over the country, I met so many people just like me. We are accidental uh, activists. And so many parents, and say they pay no attention to politics just a few years ago. Now they become devoted uh, activists to fight for our country. So we just start to wake up. But we need more people wake up and we need um, them wake up faster, but they are waking up. And so I, I say uh, there is a great hope, absolutely. But we need to educate more people. That's why I made this my mission. We need to understand. And you can't fight your enemy if you don't even understand what they are and what they stand for. And we have to expose them, not just to uh, understand, but to spread the message. And we have to resist. We absolutely have to resist. We can take action 
big or small. You can take a small action. Maybe you're so afraid of you losing your jobs, and um, but at least you do not participate in the lie. At least you choose the silent resistance. And then the last thing I said: we have to get organized. The left, the communists, are superb organizers. Mao organized the peasants, and who put him in power in 1949. Obama organized the、uh, inner cities. And then eventually paved the way to White House. And of course, what happened to the peasants? Fifty million of them starved to death under Mao. And what happened to these uh, uh, <laughs>、uh, inner city、uh, people? They're still there. They're still poor. And but those people are there in power. So in order for us to win, we have to get organized. There are just already so many organizations in every、uh, at every level over the country. Join them. If there's nothing, start your own. We have to get. I would not be able to be where I am today if I did not join the Loudoun County uh, conservative um, organizations. And so I, I say we have to get organized. Yes, the left. I've said this for a long time that the left are great at community organizing. But that doesn't come naturally to people on the right.、Uh, and I think you're you're right that we have to sort of adopt that that strategy and learn <laughs> learn to do it and become more organized.、Uh, what are your plans going forward? Do you have another? I know you're still promoting and talking about this book, but is there another book on the horizon, possibly? Yeah, actually, I do have a plan. You know,、um, before I was,、uh, you know, giving speech here and there, and I know that it's not enough to tell the whole story. So. I wrote a book, but that book is still not enough, believe it or not. And even、uh, for that book, the, uh, the uh, uh, publisher have to cut out two chapters because it's too long. And I agree with them. And if, you know, I think this is just like a um, the uh,、um, a, a book that tells us the general idea of the parallel of, of the two cultural revolutions. There are a whole lot more stories to tell, and I am thinking about、um, having something like a podcast to continue to tell the stories. Americans have really no idea what it is like to live under communism, what communism is really about. So that's what I my plan is. I will continue to tell the story, and I, I I'm thinking maybe I will have a shorter. Uh, episode about uh,、um, real stories, so people can kind of um, 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 digest. Nowadays, you know, people have such a short <laughs> attention span. But education—that's my goal. Fantastic! That that sounds like a great idea. I know you have a Twitter or an X account. I actually follow you on there. What is the best way for people to keep up with what you're doing? I think Twitter to follow me on X is the best way. I tweet every day, and I tweet、uh, the parallels of the two cultural revolutions, and I tweet about the history of the horror of communism. So、um, that's the probably the best way because I'm very active. I find that a very very powerful、uh, platform to、um, to spread the message. Shi Van Fleet, thanks for making the time to come on the right take, and thank you for your courage and your patriotism. I know that you're very humble about it, and say, "Oh, it's not about bravery," but I think you're exceptional. So、uh, I urge you to keep up the good fight. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. People, go to Amazon or wherever and pick up a copy of Shi Van Fleet's important book, Mao's America. It's a great read. And thank you for joining us here at the intersection of politics and culture. 
Don't forget to subscribe to The Right Take so that you can keep up with all the important conversations we're having here. And if you like what you hear, please leave that positive review. It really helps. Be seeing you. The Right Take with Mark Tapson is a project of the David Horowitz Freedom Center and Front Page Magazine. Unauthorized reproduction of this podcast without express written consent is prohibited.